America's original and oldest heritage pack company, Duluth Pack, hosts a podcast led by CEO Tom Sega. Real stories with real people who we admire, plus outdoor industry conversations, business discussions, entrepreneurial advice, and more. Now enjoy this week's episode of Leader of the Pack. This week's episode of Leader of the Pack is brought to you by our friends at Fairbolt Mill. We've recently incorporated a new brand into our Duluth Pack store, and I've got to tell you, I'm loving it. And when I say new, I mean founded in 1865 new. Many of you are probably familiar with Fairbolt Mill, the oldest manufacturer in the state of Minnesota and maker of beautiful wool and now cotton blankets, throws, and other accessories. You got to see their Great Lakes map throw. It is super cool. And if you're not familiar with them, you need to be. Like Duluth Pack, these are products that are made to last for generations. Check the incredible assortment online at Fairbolt Mill, F-A-R-I-B-A-U-L-T-M-I-L-L.com and in the Duluth Pack store. Hey everybody, this is Tom Siga from Duluth Pack with the Leader of the Pack podcast. And we love to talk to entrepreneurs, and we have a fantastic entrepreneur today. Our guest is Pasha Apter, the founder and CEO of Giant Voices, Giant Academy, Giant Ventures, and is, as of the last couple of years, an educator. And we're going to, folks, we're going to learn all about this and all about Pasha. So, Pasha, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Tom. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. Oh, we're going to have some fun. We're going to learn all kinds of good things, and you're a great person. So let's just dive in real easy. Just kind of tell us, where did you grow up? We want to learn a little bit about you right out of the chute. Where did you grow up? What was your childhood like? Where did you go to school and then on to college and major and all that? All right. Sounds good. Uh, so I grew up in rural Minnesota in a place called Carleton, Minnesota, population 810 people. Uh, and I grew up in an entrepreneurial family. So my parents owned a meat and taxidermy shop in Cloquet, Minnesota for the 17 years of my childhood. Yeah, so my dad was a taxidermist. My mom ran the front of the shop and my brother and I were the main two employees of the bait shop. So our jobs were to uh, get up early in the morning, we would head down to the shop and uh, we would pack the bait for the day. Package up, you know, dozens of night crawlers and leeches and, uh, you know, some other fish eggs for fishing and you know, to make sure all the fishermen that were coming in that day were gonna have all the bait that they needed. And then we would go off to school. After school, we would, my mom pick us up, we'd go back to the shop and help my parents clean up and wrap up for the day. So worms and leeches don't bother you. <laughs> they do not. I am, I am proud to say I can have no problem baiting my own hook. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I want to go fishing with you. <laughs> right. So you learned good work ethic at a very young age. And then, you know, you, you finish up high school, you're going to go on to college. Uh, were you going to go into the bait business or what was your, what were your plans? You know, I learned really early that there wasn't a lot of margin in minnows, and uh, I really wasn't excited about taking over the family taxidermy business, believe it or not. Um, for some reason, I don't know where it came from. Uh, as you know, it didn't come from my family, but I was born sure that I was destined to own a marketing agency. In addition to counting nightcrawlers and leeches, I would spend my free time writing commercials, especially television commercials for brands like Twix and Pringles and Bubble Tape and Levi's. And I was just sure that that was my destiny. And so I went to college for that purpose. I was able to, you know, in Carleton, Minnesota, you don't have a lot of student resources at school that are gonna help you get into the colleges maybe of your dreams. But I did have a counselor who was able to get me into uh, St. Cloud State University, which was one of only two colleges in the state at the time that had an advertising major. Uh, so that's where I went to school. I was 100% focused on advertising and I uh, had a job 
Westmoreland, which is now called Flint Communications in advertising right outside of college. So that's where I got my start. So you started in private business, in marketing, in a marketing firm. And, yeah. and what did you learn there that would bring you to the next steps of your career? Because you're, you're coming in, obviously, out of college. And in fact, funny uh, side note is literally last week for the podcast, we interviewed somebody who uh, also is in the outdoor industry and touches a lot of minnows and bait and all that stuff, <laughs> who is a St. Cloud State grad. So he's a, he was a Husky as well, just last week. But what did you learn after getting out of, of school and a marketing degree, and then you get on with a marketing agency? What were some of the challenges and what did you really learn early on? You know, when I, when I started with Westmoreland, again, this was before it was connected with Flint at all. It was a small firm. And when I was hired, I was hired to be the assistant to the vice president, who uh, truly was an account executive at the time. And he was a brilliant copywriter. So I, uh, my role was to follow him along with to meetings and shadow, take notes. But I learned from him how to be an exceptional copywriter. Also at the time, uh, the one course that I did not enjoy at St. Paul State was media buying. I, and I was just sure, well, I'll just never have to do this, right? When I get into the business world, I won't pick that. Well, two weeks into my first job, the media buyer quit. And guess who became the new media buyer? So I got to be an account assistant, a copywriter, and a media buyer within the first two weeks of my employment. Also at that time, this was 1998. So this was the beginning of the, the internet. Uh, most businesses in Northern Minnesota at the time did not have a website. So we quickly launched a interactive division and we also had a great videographer on our team at the time. So we had a broadcast division, which meant I was the only salesperson or account executive for our interactive and broadcast division. So I got to wear a lot of hats right away. And when I reflect on my career and my past, it was such an exceptional opportunity for me as a young person who's very excited, who had this entrepreneurial drive to be trusted with all of these key roles at the agency so early on. So the media buyer, how did you overcome? Because you said, well, yeah, this is something that, at least in college, that I really didn't enjoy. Now you, you get thrust into the role as media buyer. How did you overcome the, the you know, get your confidence or, or learn to like it? Maybe you didn't ever learn to like it, but how did you, how did you, you know, transition into that role? You know, I learned really early on to recognize my knowledge gaps and, and work to close them as quickly as possible. And so I was, it was very obvious to me that I had no idea what I was doing when it came to media buying. And our clients were expecting something very different. And so I worked with all the media reps in town and just asked them. I just was very, I used my ignorance as an advantage and asked them to teach me, tell me about television, tell me about buying airtime, you know, where should my clients be placed? Like, how do I, what is the right cost per thousand impressions, right? So I just, I use my network of help there. And really the, the media reps in town taught me how to be an exceptional media buyer. So I was really fortunate too. I did not come in with arrogance or trying to pretend that I knew things that I did not. I was very open on I want to be effective in this role. Can you help me close my knowledge gaps? I did a great job. You know, that's pretty cool. And I think that's, that's great advice for young people who are getting into something is don't, you know, a lot of people say, you know, fake it until you make it and all that is, is absolutely not ask <laughs> questions. I heard loud and clear from you as I asked questions of people and let them know that, that I'm new in this, or I, I don't maybe know what I'm doing, but help me out. Cause I want to help you out. Yes, absolutely. So your next role then is, is you get on with Maurice's corporation and how did yes. that transition work? And, and when was that? And what did that look like? So I had been working at the advertising agency for about four years and I was approached by someone at Maurice's who was letting me know that they had just revamped their entire marketing department they it used to involve visual display and marketing were one department and they had just separated the two. 
and they were looking for new people to add to their marketing team. And they were going to run their marketing team like an in-house advertising agency, for lack of a better example. And so they needed account leaders to manage all of the projects that they have working on internally at Marisa's. Uh, so honestly, still today, if I think about my current role and the job description that was provided to me at Marisa's, it was my dream job by far, right? Here was this cool national fashion organization, female focused um, right here in Duluth, Minnesota. And my job at the time was to manage a lot of the seasonal, the production of the seasonal marketing materials. I got to go on and lead uh, fashion photo shoots. We did a model search, got to travel to New York City. And for a girl from Carleton, Minnesota, New York City in itself was just a dream come true. Sure. Uh, we also didn't have a website at the time. So we were developing the first website, the company's first credit card program and a gift card program. So I was involved in a number of cool things that were happening for Maurice's at that time. It was interesting though, before I went to Maurice's, uh, my boss at Westmoreland told me, I bet you don't make it a year. And I, I was took that, you know, very negatively, of course. I was like, what do you mean? I can do it. I, I'm capable. I'm strong. I can do anything. And he said, hey, no, I just, I bet you don't make it a year. And he was referencing the corporate environment that Maurice has had versus where I was at Westmoreland, which was quite an entrepreneurial experience at the time. And I had a lot of freedom and a lot of roles. And, uh, and so, you know what? He was right. While I had my dream job at Maurice's, the job description was everything that I would still want job. Uh, it was difficult to make moves inside of a big corporation. You, you just don't have the power and the authority and freedom that I was used to having coming from an entrepreneurial family and from an entrepreneurial agency at the time. And it wasn't a great fit for me. So I left Maurice's and my job then, or my, my mission at that time was to start my own advertising agency. Because as I may have mentioned, my dream when I was young, when I was writing those commercials for Twix and Pringles and Levi's was to own my own marketing agency by the time that I was 40. That was my goal. And 40 seemed, you know, way off at nine. Uh, and so I was very excited when I left Marisa's to start my own firm. I had agency experience, I had corporate now marketing experience, and I was ready to go. And this is, you might find this funny. Some of your younger listeners are going to have no idea what I'm talking about, but how I used to find new clients for Westmoreland when I started, again, this is back in, you know, 1998 to 2000 or so, where as I would look through the classifieds, remember the newspaper had very thick classified section, deep, right? Many, Absolutely. many times. If you were hiring, you put an ad in the classifieds. And so my strategy to find new clients was to look to see who was hiring in the classifieds. And if they were hiring for any person that had a marketing role of some sort or sales role, I assumed they would be a candidate for a marketing agency instead of hiring an individual in-house. So that's how I developed my marketing hit list. Well, what happened was at the time, as I was starting my own firm, I had a few clients already, but I saw again in the classifieds that a credit union called Affinity Plus, who I'd never heard of before, was hiring a bunch of roles in Duluth, Minnesota. Tellers, loan officers, branch manager, all the things. And so I assumed that this was a new business coming to town and they probably needed a, a marketing help, right? So I didn't know how to reach out to them. Uh, so I decided to attend their job fair. They were hosting a big job fair downtown Duluth. And so I you know, got all suited up and I came with my business card and my little brochure and I went to meet their senior executives who were interviewing candidates for all their jobs uh, to let them know that I wanted to be their marketing agency and help them land uh, strong, in a strong way in Duluth, Minnesota. So as I was interviewing with them, not for a job, but to pitching them really on hiring my new marketing company, um, that was weird for them, right? <laughs> This is very uncommon. This is no one's approached us this way before. And so that evening I got a phone call and they said, we would like to offer you the role of the branch manager of our Duluth branch. 
And I said, no, I don't want to run a bank branch. I want to be, I want to be your marketing agency. And they said, you know, our Duluth branch actually is on the closing list. Um, and we have a new experiment that we want to try at Affinity Plus, where we are putting people who are not qualified in banking or, or lending or any of those types of things. And we're just hiring people based on their communication skills and relationship building skills to run our branches. And we want to see how that how that turns out, you know, could we, we can train you on how to be a banker. We can train you how to use the system and, and make loans, but we can't train people to be good communicators and relationship builders. So we'd like to hire you to start this pilot program. And we're so will you take the job? Uh, and they offered me a lot of money to say yes. So I did. <laughs> <laughs> so I said yes. And so it was it's Pasha the banker. <laughs> I had never handled cash at a job before, ever. I mean, honestly. So I was the most unqualified banker ever, uh, leading a branch, a credit union branch uh, in Duluth for, for two years. Yeah. So t talk about some of that, because your learning curve had to be off the charts, because you, you're obviously, we know each other a little bit. You're yeah. a great communicator. You're a phenomenal marketer. We're going to get into Giant and all that and all the all the things you have going on there. That's a given, and our, our listeners are going to get that. But tell us about your learning curve now. You have those skill sets, and they brought you in for those. But how was your learning curve of being a banker? Because, I, I mean, I can't imagine me <laughs> being a banker. I mean, unless they were absolutely wanted it to fail. <laughs> Yeah, you know, this is where ignorance is bliss, right? You know, I, I really didn't know how to be a banker. I also still had no intentions of being a banker. And so I also had the authority to hire whoever I wanted. I mean, they really, again, gave me full freedom. I was a total test. And so I did. So I went and found a couple of great bankers in town who had great reputations and hired them on to handle a lot of the, the banking responsibilities. And I went out building relationships. A lot of our members hadn't uh, been talked to in quite a long time. The Duluth branch was really just a, a savings account for many people and they didn't have a real relationship. And so it was very easy for me to just have a conversation with them about their business, about their family and just earn trust enough for them to get a car loan from us or, you know, do their mortgage refinance with our credit union. And so you're, you're a math guy. You like, you like successful financial outcomes. When, when I started working with this organization, their gross loan sales per month was $70,000, which is very, very small. About 18 months later, they were about 4.6 million a month. So we had gone from 70,000 a month to 4.6 million a month. Yeah. And honestly, it was all because we were building relationships uh, and it was, and I was, I was different. So I was finding, you know, you know me, this gets into marketing creativity and innovation and entrepreneurship kind of hustle. But I was noticing that we had loan programs, for example, with car dealerships. So if someone went to a car dealership and wanted financing, they could get a loan through my credit union without ever really even coming in to, to my organization. Well, I thought, well, what, who's doing that with Bobcats or other, you know, heavy equipment operators? And it turned out no one was doing that. So I was able to establish relationships with those types of vehicle dealers also, which helped fed in a lot of our new loan revenue. I love the way you say that, because one of the things you said was I'm building relationships, I'm reaching out to these people, but I also have the hustle. And yeah. that's what it takes to build relationships. I mean, you're looking through the newspaper, you find a job, which you weren't looking for, but then you also were hustling to say, hey, how can we open up in new markets? And that, I think for anyone that's in business of any means, that's what we have to do is just think different. And, and you did that. And obviously you've done that your whole career because it's been so darn successful. What was your, your biggest challenge for you, though, Pasha, when you got to Affinity? You're the branch manager. I don't have this banking. I have this other skill set. But what was the challenge for you? You hired some great bankers. You, there had to be some challenges looking at a small, small portfolio. 
You know, my biggest challenge, Tom, honestly, was I didn't want to work there. I didn't want to be a banker, even though I was incredibly successful. I was running a great credit union. The Duluth branch, while it was on the closing list, became the darling of the branches of Affinity. And I wanted to get out. I mean, I wanted to run an advertising agency. I had wanted that since I was nine years old. And while it was an exceptional opportunity to become, uh, to learn about financing in the way that I did, uh, I couldn't wait to get out and get back into running an agency. And so what happened at, at Affinity is we got so big, we had so many new members, we were so successful, we, were, we had to move out of our location, which was in that tiny, it was at a tiny strip mall behind uh, Bridgman's. Uh, if you know where that is, right? I mean, it's we were just tucked away. Our cash register at the time, just so you know, was one of those rummage sale boxes, right? Like we, no investment had been made in my tiny branch until we turned it into a darling branch. So at the time they were moving us, we found a new location, which is where Affinity is now. We are building all of that out. I was realizing I wasn't even able to spend much time with members anymore and build those relationships, which is the part I enjoyed the most of working at Affinity. And so I left and went to work for, a, for an advertising agency because I could see how I was going to get stuck being a banker and I didn't want to be a banker. So talk, talk about that transition because you go from a marketing person to a banker yeah. Back to, and this is obviously the JPG group. Yes. Yeah. Tell us about that. When was that? Oh my gosh. I think it was 2000, right at the end of 2004, I did the JPG, I believe in January of 2005. And I had heard of the JPG group before. They were on my radar. They did exist when I was working in West, at Westmoreland, but they were a small project shop located in Virginia, Minnesota and mainly working with mining companies and manufacturers up there from what I had known. When I joined the organization, uh, you know, I knew that the founder at the time, he was a solo owner of the organization. He was going to want to sell his business at some point. But in the meantime, he really wanted to grow it. He's been wanting to grow outside of Virginia, Minnesota for quite some time, but never really had the team to do it. And so I joined his firm as an account executive and uh, was able to work out of my home in Cloquet and, and travel back and forth to Virginia from a few days a week until I could get us established in Duluth. So that was my first uh, action item as far as the agency was, was build a client roster in Duluth so that we could uh, get an office there. And at that time now I'd had an, I'd, a lot of banking experience at this point. So I even then, I was quite young still then, I was questioning why would we just add all of this overhead to the organization? And so I started looking at other agencies that we could buy in the Duluth market and we're bringing those ideas to, to Jim at the time, who was the owner of JPG. And, and he followed up on him. Jim is a hustler also, definitely a deal making kind of guy. And uh, we bought Von Gertz and Von Hove out of business in Duluth. And that's how we got our Duluth footprint. And that office was right in Canal Park, kind of close to you guys. Uh, so together, Jim and I, we bought Von Gertz and Von Hove. And then I had my Duluth office established and was able to run that. And then we bought out a promotional products company. And we started a signing company, which we sold. And in, what was it? 2012, I ended up buying Jim out of the organization. Uh, so then in January of 2013, that's when Giant Voices really came to life officially. We had a new name. We were an entirely different firm by that point. Um, we were no longer a project shop working with smaller clients in the Iron Range. We had a number of retainer clients in, in throughout Minnesota. And so you rebrand at that point, you, you, you took him out of the business, mm -hmm. you rebrand to Giant Voices. Yes, yes. Okay. How did that come about, Giant Voices? Well, a couple of things. Uh, so one of the, I paid a lot of attention to how when we would pitch new business, why we would be declined as the JPG group. And oftentimes it was because uh, prospects thought we were small. 
we were, we were truly, I mean, we were a small firm in Northern Minnesota. So a small group of people working in a small part of Minnesota. And so we were looked at as being small. And, and uh, that was one of those barriers. Like, how are you going to overcome being small? Well, how about you name yourself giant? And then all of a sudden, that's just taken, that is just taken off, right? That hurdle, like no one thinks that you're small anymore if your name is giant. Uh, so I was able to overcome that. And then voices was about finding a different way to say communications and finding a way to really speak to what we do at Giant Voices, which is create a giant team of brand advocates for our clients to be singing their praises. So that was the, um, uh, the concept that created Giant Voices. So Pasha, with Giant Voices, what kind of work do you and all of your employees do there for your clients? Yeah, so Giant Voices is unique in that we are an ambition-based organization. And so what does that mean? And I don't know any other agencies that really brand themselves that way, but our secret sauce is we've created this vision sharing uh, facilitation offer where every client that we bring on, we work them through this process to help unmask their business ambitions. Uh, and sometimes it may look like we want to double our revenue in certain product categories. We want to rebrand to hit a new target audience. We want to expand into different markets or different countries, right? We hear those sorts of things a lot. Right now, a lot of it is we want to merge or acquire, or we want to set our, our, our organization up to be sold in the next five to 10 years. So we work with our clients to map out these term ambitions and then we handle all the marketing, advertising, and lead generation work to get that done and accomplished for them. So common things that people think about when they think about marketing would be, you know, website development, uh, branding work. We do a lot of logo creation and company rebrands. Advertising today still has to follow the gamut between traditional advertising, such as television and print and billboards. But then also all the digital advertising, the buzzwords people are you know, familiar with today, the SEO and display, programmatic, et cetera. Do a lot of lead generation, uh, bringing email marketing and, and to bring uh, clients and prospects into developing comprehensive sales funnels and, and messaging their prospects all the way through that funnel. Uh, so that is an, an idea of what we do at Giant Voices. Uh, see, some of our clients right now, which is kind of fun. This feels like we're going back in time a little bit, but I'm excited about it, that the world is opening up. We're redoing almost everyone's trade show booth right now and creating carpet videos. I mean, these are like old school things to do, but they work. And it's a sign that the world is opening up. And uh, so those are fun to do as well. You know, the last several months, I went to my first two trade shows that I've been to in literally two years. And I've been a, you know, a trade show guy my whole life. And it was weird getting in a big hall with people again and, and, and all the, the fresh booths. And you, you mentioned that, but yeah. everyone, everyone had time to freshen up their booths, not even knowing, are we going to ever do a trade show again? Yeah. But we got to be fresh. We we need to, uh, you know, be able to to catch people's eye at a trade show and and all those things. So interesting that that you say that. So your customers, you know, you're 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 obviously doing some discover and uncover and recover with them as you're going through the the process with them. How, how do you handle a customer that's an old curmudgeon like me <laughs> and He's like, well, you know what? I'm kind of liking this Google AdWords thing because I can see my very quick, you know, is it a good ROAS or is it not? And I have some targets that I go for. But then somebody's saying, you know, I want you to do some, some radio ads or I want you to do some TV or I want you to do some billboards. And I'm like, well, show me what my return on ad spend is going to be. How do we work around some of those things? And I know that that's a loaded and very difficult question, but I'll ask that for our listeners because, you know, other business people probably think like that as well. That is a great question. You know, for the longest time in tradition, when traditional advertising was the way it was done, there was always this mystery around marketing. Is it working? Is it not working? How would we know? Well, today with all the digital assets, you can see in real time what's, what's working and what the engagement rates are. But what I will tell you and your listeners is when you're looking at the all the different media options that you have 
it's important to know, understand which each one of them are, uh, like the strengths are of each of them. So television, for example, you're not gonna be able to see the clicks off television, right? It's just, it's just not the way it works. But television gives you an opportunity to both visually and audibly tell your story. So you get to tell your story in a much longer time period, 15 seconds, 30 seconds, 60 seconds. You can tell a pretty exceptional story and show a beautiful story about your business or product or service in that amount of time. With radio, you take out the visual component, but you still have all of those extra seconds to share your story versus a digital ad that is just, if it's just static, it's right there. It's not telling much, right? You can't do a lot with a digital ad uh, in, in that way. Yet you can, a digital ad gets people to click. No one's clicking off your radio ad or your television ad. So each of those different mediums have their own purpose and have their own advantages and disadvantages. And so it's really just important to be thinking about your business, your target audiences, what media preferences do they have versus what do you have and, and what sort of media mix is going to make sense? Because sometimes if you're just selling a product and people are familiar with that product, you don't need much more than a Google ad, right? They just click on it and I, I'm going to pick up this, this backpack. But if you're launching something entirely new or if you're going to launch a Duluth Pack Adventures or organization where you're taking people on excursions, then you're going to want to tell a much more audible and visual story about the adventures and the experiences people are going to have. So that's an example of how you might use something like that. So, so it sounds like we're opening another business here. We're going on I, adventures. <laughs> you know, some of my favorite trips are through REI, I have to tell you. And not only every time do I sign up, do I spend at least $2,000, don't tell my husband, and uh, new gear purchases, but I have a great time. So why not Duluth Pack? Well, there you go. Holy cow, my wife's going to kill me. So Pasha, you are the leader. You're the CEO. You're the chief at the at the business. What, what does that entail? Because obviously you love in, in the marketing part. You love the customer engagement, the relationship building part. But as a leader of the company, uh, there's a lot more that goes into that. Tell us those parts of the business and what you do, because your firm is a large firm now. You have a lot of employees. What does your day-to-day -day look like as the leader, the CEO? You know, I have the best job ever. I mean, I really, I am so excited. We're coming on our 10-year anniversary. And when I think about all that we've accomplished the past 10 years, I am just more inspired every day about what we're able to do in the future. So I, I have a great job. My day-to-day -to -day today looks like more mentoring and coaching of my employees than it ever has in the past. Uh, so when I start Giant Voices, of course, even though I was still CEO at that time, it was all about client acquisition getting out into the community, pitching our organization, letting people know how it was different than the JPG group, and really trying to get new clients to be on the Giant Voices client roster. And then over time, it was about, you know, building our uh, build, building out our financials, right? Making sure that we had really ambitious goals that we were managing our investments, that we were taking care of our expenses. So managing, I would say more operationally. And today, and this is the best role that I've ever had as still CEO, like the business card title has not changed. But today, my job is mainly focused on coaching and mentoring my team so that they can be great at their roles. So for example, I meet with every single one of my account managers every single week, and we talk about their clients and their clients' ambitions and how we can help of them accomplish those. So we'll be talking about creative ideas for a television campaign. We might be talking about creative ways to put together a media mix where the campaign works across television and digital ads and the website. Um, I'm oftentimes coaching my employees on how to pitch to win a new website contract or how to win a new client. I'm coaching even my creative team. Sometimes, you know, we get we get stuck or we just need to be inspired. And so I get to spend my time coaching them and mentoring them through that or helping to inspire my team uh, so that they can do a great job for our clients. So today I would say is my favorite day as CEO of Giant Voices. What What's the toughest challenges in marketing today? We've just all gone through uh, COVID. 
And I mean, every business has been, every person has been affected some way, shape or form. What have been the biggest challenges? And then after that, what are the biggest rewards? Okay. Uh, So right away when the pandemic hit, some of our clients who were in retail or in the medical industry had to shut their doors. So at that time, you know, those are, that's on our major client sector, but we lost about 17% of revenue right off the bat there. And as we're looking at how do we transition our team also to be remote at the time or hybrid. So that, that created a whole new set of organizational challenges. And then also with our clients, you know, we started really looking at how do we A, for ourselves, you know, go get new clients and retain the current clients that we have, but then how do we help our clients do the same thing? And as I shared with you, one of our major offers is our vision sharing offer. And that offer has always been uh, conducted in person. It's always been an in-person facilitation. We fly, everyone gets together. Well, we could not do that anymore. So one of our challenges, which I quickly turned into an opportunity, was to make that vision sharing session a virtual experience. And so we did, we turned it into a virtual experience. And to be honest, Tom, it has really been the catalyst that's helped us expand and grow Giant Voices over the last two years. We've had our best two years. And it's because we weren't weren't limited uh, by the number of vision sharings we were able to offer. Uh, because we can now host them virtually with clients all over the world. And so that was turned out to be excellent. Also the challenge of, you know, putting our team members into remote situations. Well, that was an investment and a big, you know, a big question mark. And how is this going to work? It turned out to be a real competitive advantage for us as an employer. And it also gave us an opportunity to really take care of our team members in a much more significant way. They're able to spend more time with their family and be safe in their own comfort zone while still being very productive for Giant Voices. So, well, I would say leading a marketing firm during the pandemic the last two years has been the most challenging uh, role of mine as CEO. It has also become rewarding beyond measure in many ways. When the pandemic hit and you saw things slide, what were some of the very first actions that you had to take you know we had to do it in our businesses but very different than you had to do it and you uh, have mentioned several times that you're a people person that you love those relationships and now those change dramatically because these are not face-to-face they're they're over a zoom like we're doing right now, yeah. right here. And I know, you know, the, I, ch- I was very challenged with that. That's just me talking. How did that affect you? You said we, we ended up using it as a, a positive for all of your employees as well as yourself. But coming out of it, have you been able to go to a hybrid where now you start meeting with your clients again? How, how is that working moving forward? Oh, yeah. Well, a couple of things. And one thing I wanted to make sure I mentioned to you, because he used the word uh, hustle early on. And uh, so Giant Voices, one of the things I'm most proud of as CEO of Giant Voices is our set of brand values and the culture we've created because of that. And our brand values, we only have a few and I'll go through them so you and your audience uh, can understand them. Our ambition, creativity, excellence, passion, and it used to be fun. Our last brand value was fun. And we didn't mean fun in the old madman kind of way, right? Where we were having martinis at 10 a.m., which would have been fun. But that was that really wasn't what we were about. Fun was about being the meeting on the client's calendar that they were looking forward to that day, right? So that was what fun meant. But when the pandemic hit, we changed, we got rid of fun. Fun got the ax and we inserted the word hustle instead. And hustle, uh, it really was a better, honestly, for who we have been, who we are today, and who we intend to be in the future. We are, you know, marketing, business development is all about hustle. It's all about figuring out how to adapt and build great relationships with great people. Uh, So that's when uh, that I wanted to make sure you knew that we changed our brand values and added hustle in there. That that's awesome. And and you know, customer, to be honest we all sell in some way, shape or form, whether it's our product or our services. And those people who are out there selling, they better be hustling 
or it's not going to be an overly successful career for them. And as business leaders, we have to hustle every day because we're trying to meet the needs, as you very clearly said, of our employers, employees, and the people who employ us, our customers. Exactly. So, yeah. So to answer your question about our model, yeah, today we have a remote model and a hybrid model. So those of us, myself included as CEO, who spends part of her time in Arizona, uh, we work remote. And then those who are in Duluth, where our headquarters is located, they're able to work a hybrid situation. Let's talk about Giant Academy. And what, how did you come up with Giant Academy? And what is Giant Academy? Yeah, so Giant Academy was a passion project that I started in 2017. And my reason for starting it was this. Um, as I mentioned, I came from an entrepreneurial family and working inside um, advertising agencies, we get to work with a lot of entrepreneurs. Many people come to us with a new business idea, a new product idea, and are looking for our help to launch it into the marketplace. And those are my favorite kind of people, to be honest. I'm, I love those who are driven and passionate and ambitious and willing to risk it all to give their idea an opportunity to make it in the marketplace, right? So I've always just had an internal passion for those people. Uh, what, what I realized, unfortunately, and you can Google this and find a number of different stats, but you know, new product, new ventures have a very low success rate. You know, depending on what you, what you search, it can be as many as much as 85% fail within the first five years. And I wanted to change that. And what I had noticed over time was oftentimes it was because the entrepreneurs hadn't invested much time in branding, advertising, marketing, or sales lead development before they launched their business or product. And I think there's some arrogance there thinking, well, I, I know this product is awesome. Everyone's going to think it's awesome too. So I don't need to build a brand. I don't need to build advertising messages. And I, and I certainly don't need to build a sales pipeline because if I build it, they will come, right? That's how it's supposed to work. Well, that isn't how it works. And so oftentimes uh, when I was working with entrepreneurs, by the time they got to market, they had spent a lot of money, whether it was theirs or theirs and investment money on developing their product or their service and getting it ready for the market. But they didn't have anything left to build a brand, build advertising campaigns or a sales funnel. And so they went out of business quite quickly. And so I wanted to be a part of the solution of changing those statistics. And that's why I founded Giant Academy. So Giant Academy is an online education platform where I really just teach my IP related to productivity and marketing to uh, startups and small nonprofits. And it's, when it started in 2017, again, it's a passion project, very excited about it. I was getting a lot of clients actually from the Entrepreneur Fund. Uh, if they were writing loans uh, to entrepreneurs, they would send them through Giant Academy to learn about productivity and marketing. And I was always teaching it live. And so what happened was you know, became pretty taxing for me to be teaching this live to multiple groups week after week after week. Uh, I'm, I'm not someone who loves a lot of vacation, but you know, there, there I got to take a break sometimes too. And so the demand was becoming quite high and we were planning to move it to a video series then and an on-demand series and expand it. And then of course the pandemic happened and I had to focus my, on my main um, job through Giant Voices. But in addition, you know, Giant Voices works with a number of entrepreneurs and I was able to kind of satisfy my passion by joining groups like Seedspot and Golden Seeds and a number of entrepreneurial organizations throughout Minnesota and Arizona to work with entrepreneurs and help with coaching and mentoring. And of course, I'm always focusing on how to build a brand and create a marketing funnel um, for them. So you, you weren't busy enough and then we decide, well, let's have giant ventures. So, Pasha, what's giant ventures all about? Because obviously you have a lot of spare time here. <laughs> I know. I was blessed with a lot of energy. I really, yeah. And I don't know my Netflix password. So, you know, I'm not <laughs> distracted by things like that. Um, so, giant ventures is my side hustle that may be my full time job, you know, someday in the future. Giant Ventures was about help is about helping startups get a couple of things: a financing, but also 
uh, expert marketing, uh, business coaching, and sales funnel help. So that's what we provide the number of portfolio companies that we have at Giant Ventures. I don't spend a significant amount of time on it. If you go to giantventures.us, you can see that our portfolio companies are there. And most of the time, we have made a capital investment into all of those. And we have provided professional marketing help or, or mentorship coaching to get them into the market. Um, some of them are still coaching day to day. Ideally, what I'd like to build with Giant Ventures is a robust team of fractional CMOs, for example, chief marketing officers or retired CEOs, those who, you know, maybe sold their organization, but still have the juice and still want to be involved with businesses who can come in and um, coach and mentor through uh, the Giant Ventures program. So I'm building something now. I started Giant Ventures in 2019 that will maybe trans someday transition to be my main calling. You're like Shark Tank here. <laughs> that's that's what I'm envisioning. Shark Tank. It's it's Pasha, it's Pasha's world. This is awesome. So and okay, we got Giant Voices. We have Giant Academy. We have Giant Ventures. First of all, give everybody all the handles for those the the websites and then all the social handles. Oh sure. So just GiantVoices.com. It is a GiantAcademy.com. And it's giantventures.us. So you can Google all of those. Same thing on, on all the social media channels. And if you thought that was plenty on the plate, Pasha decides that, you know what? Now I'm going to teach college classes at the College of St. Scholastica. Because, yeah. because I guess... You know, the Netflix uh, subscription was canceled and you had a little bit of extra time. Oh, yeah, that's true. I was so excited. So, you know, as a business owner, especially as a female business owner, we've had the opportunity, my, my business partner, Lisa and I, to speak often at uh, Scholastica and um, UMD and other colleges in the region to talk about marketing, to talk about our own startup entrepreneurial story. And uh, so I built some relationships with the many colleges in the region through, through those experiences. And uh, Melissa Goodson from the College of St. Scholastic called and said, hey, we have this business planning class that just really is outdated and we'd like to turn it into a, a class focused on onto entrepreneurism. Is that something that you could help us with? I said, yes, I would love to. I would love to write the curriculum and maybe even teach. And I shared with her that that was one of my ambitions and that I'm currently getting my master's degree so that I could be a, a, a teacher in the future at the college level. And she said, well, how, about, how do you feel about just doing it now? And so they gave me the full, I mean, no boundaries at, at the College of St. Scholastica, which I'm super appreciative of. The last thing you want to do is put it a an entrepreneur in a box. Um, and so I created, I was able to create 16 weeks of content on, on focus on entrepreneurism. And uh, I'm teaching it right now. My students go into finals in the next week or next week in the following week. And here's what I've done with this course. And I'm, I'm most proud of this. So the, the focus is on entrepreneurship, but the students are led through the beginning of course, classes on innovation and creativity and how to um, notice trends in the marketplace and create a blue ocean opportunity, which is an, a business opportunity where there's very little competition. And so uh, after that, after learning all of those things, they create a new business venture idea in the class. And then we work through the next 10 weeks or so of the course, developing this new business venture and creating their new business venture pitch deck. So all of the students have created brand new business venture ideas. They are complete now with their pitch decks. And as you mentioned, Shark Tank, they are gonna be pitching those uh, business venture ideas, Shark Tank style to their peers. And I've invited 35 business professionals to attend also. And that's how they're gonna uh, handle their finals. So I'm, I'm so excited about it. Every idea is truly exceptional and while teaching and writing a 16-week curriculum was a lot more work than I had ever imagined, I've gotten more energy back and more inspiration back from this work than I ever imagined possible. Asha, with the, the 
the businesses that your students are putting together, are any of them, have they made it clear to you that I'm actually going to take this and try to find financing or I am going to on my own start this as a business when I'm done with college? Yeah, I would say there's four or five of them uh, that are planning to kick their tires with this in the marketplace. There's one who's already launched her online boutique. Uh, so she's already set up and ready to go. And, and whether they really launch them or not, their wheels are turning. We have just created a, a, a group of people who now understand what innovation really means, who have created something innovative, who understand how to notice marketplace trends more than others. And I think they're going to come out of this with a competitive advantage that is going to be fruitful for them, whether they start their own business or, or help someone else's thrive. So Pasha, when you got in and, and you were able to write the curriculum, there's one word that I've heard when I've worked with some of the colleges as well. And it's like, hey, Tom, you're going to have to be patient because it, it works at the speed of school. And, and that is bringing new and innovative things. How did you get to do this and do it quickly instead of at the speed of school? You're a heck of a salesperson. I think I just slipped through the cracks there. I'm not actually sure. I, you know, uh, I've had very little oversight, thankfully. I mean, they must just really, really trust me. Uh, yeah, I, even I am like, how come no one's paying attention to what I'm doing in here? But no, it's great. You know, I think if you are, are brave enough to support a class in entrepreneurship and to retain an entrepreneur like me to run it, it's best just to let it happen. Oh, that is, how fun is that? I mean, wow, to, to give back like that as well has got to be a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. so, so folks, we're talking with Pasha Apter, the founder, CEO of Giant Voices, Giant Academy, Giant Ventures, and now college professor. It's like, holy cow, that's a mouthful there. So we're going to switch a little bit here, Pasha. We're going we're gonna to get into our section that we call Packed question segments. So we just want to learn a little bit about you. And so we've learned a lot about what you've done professionally and all this, but we're going to dig a little bit deeper for a couple of minutes. So what is your favorite hobby outside of work? Okay. So this might be surprising to you, but if you think about my background in uh, taxidermy and being in, you know, we owned outdoors company. My only hobby, honestly, is wildlife photography. And specifically, I like to photograph bears, such as grizzly bears and polar bears. So my, that's my hobby. I spend time in Alaska or up in Kikatarjuak, which is in the Arctic Circle in Canada, uh, photographing polar bears or grizzly bears. Where can we, do, do you publish some of this? Can we find this? You know, I have a smug mug site, but it is private because while I think they're exceptional and I'm very, very proud of the work that I've done, I've just been using it as sort of my own personal accomplishment and I haven't, I, I'm not selling anything right now. Okay. Basically my photos, I just use them and turn them into beautiful photo books. Um, my poor brother has more photos than he probably wants in his home. Um, but yeah, so I have posted a few on my Facebook page and things, but it's sort of just been this private adventure that I really enjoy. That's really cool. You need to, to meet a local person, Alex Messenger. Young, okay. Young fellow uh, that uh, went through Camp Minosian. He was actually one of our guests on the podcast. And uh, for his senior uh, trip through Camp Minosian, they went up into none of it. And uh, where there's no trees, you can see 30 yeah. miles. And he was 30 feet from a grizzly bear before he saw it before it saw him and it decided to attack him. Oh, no. And it's a pod. It's one of our podcasts you need to listen to. I get goosebumps when I just even think about a great person. But uh, here's a guy that uh, he did have his camera with him And it Actually, his his Pelican camera case helped save his life because he whacked the the uh, grizzly bear over the head with it. So, oh my, oh my gosh. gosh, you you'll have a new friend here. So, Pasha, well, that's with, a 
yeah, with with all of these accomplishments you've had with your businesses and everything else, what would you say in life is your biggest accomplishment you've had so far for our listeners? You know, one of the things I'm most proud of, in addition to the things that I have mentioned today, is I've created an organization, I think, that gives young women uh, an opportunity to have really strong mentors. When I started in business in Duluth, Minnesota at the time, again, 1998 or so, there were very few women in business, uh, like a couple that I could even think of. And so when I would go to big meetings and, and big um, you know, expos, like I was one of the only women at the time that were there. So there weren't very many mentors or leaders for me to even look up to or emulate as a young female professional. And I've really worked hard to change that status quo and to give um, young women at Giant Voices and in the community, a whole bunch of really cool leaders to look up to and to learn from. So that is something I'm very proud of. I'm expanding that out to creatives. I think so often creatives, when you think about graphic designers or copywriters, but also many of the craftsmen that we have in our region, oftentimes they, they don't have a voice. They don't, they're just not very public. Uh, and they don't have an opportunity to get into the business community and connect with really strong business leaders and mentors to help their businesses thrive either. And so I'm really trying to raise the profile of women in business and creatives and craftsmen all at the same time. So that's something I'm really proud of. That is that's great. You know, and thank you for doing it. I know you're up in our community and selfishly, we need people like you doing things like that. So thank you. So You've proven to us that you're pretty fearless. Obviously, you know, in business, you're fearless. And now you tell us that your favorite hobby outside of work is going and hanging out with polar bears and grizzly bears. So my next question was, what's your biggest fear? But I guess I'm quite interested. What's your biggest fear? You know, I people ask me this all the time, and I'm, I honestly am not sure. I, I don't have a great answer. I would say anything it would be a personal one and, you know, dying before I'm able to meet my grandchildren, I guess would be my biggest fear. Honestly, I'm not afraid of anything in business. I'm, I'm not, I'm not afraid of the big bad bears out there. Um, I just really hope I make it long enough to meet my grandkids someday. How about your favorite vacation spot? Oh my goodness. We, I just got back from Maui not too long ago. And so that is going to be my answer. I like a beach vacation. Uh, we're going to St. Lucia coming up, but I haven't been there before. I would say my favorites have been Turks and Caicos and Belize and Galapagos. Everybody should go do that. But if I had to pick one place to answer your question, it would be Maui. Tough to beat the beaches in Hawaii. Really tough. Although, you know what, it would be hard to live there too, because it'd be very dif difficult to go to work every day. <laughs> oh, I know. Definitely. <laughs> and Pasha, what's the best piece of life advice that you have ever received? You know, the best piece of advice I received was actually a question. And this question was asked to me when I was at that point of deciding whether or not to buy out my business partner at the JPG group, because that was going to be financially significant to me. I was a single mom at the time. I had two children and it was about a $500,000. Uh, like I was looking at $500,000 of debt in the face for the business. In addition to having a mortgage and a car loan. Right. And here I was single mom trying to do all of this. And I was, I was pretty terrified. And, and almost paralyzed. And I was meeting with a, a business person that I respected. And he said to me, he's like, well, would you bet on you? And that question, the answer was, of course, there isn't anyone else that I would, there's no one else I would bet on but myself. He's like, well, there you go. Then why don't you just bet on yourself? And so my piece of advice would be just bet on yourself. Like if don't, you know, instead of betting in the stock market or betting on, on others, like bet on yourself first. And I think you'll accomplish a lot more. Great answer. Holy cow. <laughs> so folks, our special guest today, and I'll tell you what, you want to talk about somebody with a ton of energy, a ton of ambition, extremely successful, and is also passionate 
about the people around her that they are doing their best and that that they're set up for success has been Pasha Apter, the founder and CEO of Giant Voices, Giant Academy, Giant Ventures, and professor at St. Scholastica University. Pasha, thanks so much for being here. You are super inspiring. Oh, thank you, Tom. I really had a great time today. Well, thanks so much. And folks, until next time, unplug from the indoors and recharge in the outdoors. Thank you for listening to another episode of Leader of the Pack. Don't forget to rate this podcast. And we would certainly be grateful if you'd give us five stars. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher. Follow Duluth Pack on social media at Duluth Pack. And shop online at DuluthPack.com. Don't forget to support American jobs and buy American